0: This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, and via RSS feed. Simply search for the full name, Cover 2 Resources, on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening.
1: Hi, this is Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources. Unlike other places in the United States that have been clobbered by the opioid crisis, most of the young people who overdose in Delray Beach, Florida, are not from there. They're visitors, mostly from the Northeast and Midwest. And they come for opioid addiction treatment and recovery help to a town that has long been hailed as a lifeline for substance abusers. But what many of these addicts find here today is a crippled and dangerous system fueled in the past three years by insurance fraud, abuse, minimal oversight, and lax laws. The result in Palm Beach County has been the rapid proliferation of troubled treatment centers, labs, and group homes where unknowing addicts are exploited for insurance money and fall deeper into addiction. On that backdrop, we have a contrast, a big contrast, with a innovative program that uh, a couple of leaders in Palm Beach County have uh, developed over the course of this past year. In this episode, we'll be talking with the leaders that helped create the Suboxone pilot program in Palm Beach County. First, we'll talk with Houston Park, a special ops captain for the Palm Beach County Fire and Rescue. He's also a member of the Opiate Task Force He and his team have been working with the community to help substance abusers uh, get help after an overdose. We'll then talk to Dr. Belma Andrick and Dr. Mark Slosser. Dr. Andrick is the Chief Medical Officer of the Health Care District of Palm Beach County, and Dr. Andrick is responsible for quality and patient safety across the Health Care District and directly supervises the trauma, aeromedical, and quality and patient safety departments with indirect oversight over the district's other physician leaders. Dr. Schlosser is an OBGYN by trade, and over the course of the past 10 years, he's also been involved in neurobiology, treating obesity. Dr. Schlosser received an email from the Surgeon General just a year ago asking him to get involved in the fight against the opioid epidemic in Palm Beach County. He was also inspired by the Palm Beach Post and some of the great reporting that they have done over the course of the last few years about the epidemic and how it's impacted Palm Beach County. We'll start today with Houston Park. Houston is going to tell us a little bit about his team and their role in the Suboxone pilot program within Palm Beach County. So Houston, welcome.
2: Hi, thank you for the opportunity.
1: Okay. So this process, this five-step process that you have to respond to the opioid epidemic and overdoses in your county, take us from the beginning on that.
2: Well, from the beginning when we respond, uh, we typically respond as most EMS agencies across the nation where our paramedics uh, arrive on an incident of a suspected opioid overdose um, and they're given Narcan and Naloxone to reverse the effects of the opioids. This is the typical response. However, what we were noticing is, is it was almost becoming a revolving door. We were, in one case, we had uh, a patient that was treated four times in a 24-hour period for opioid overdoses, each time walking out of the hospital uh, uh, before receiving definitive care. And uh, what I saw was this revolving door and. And, and, and please understand that when we give Narcan, I mean, we're definitely saving lives by the use of Narcan. Uh, however, um, I wanted to try to approach this a little bit differently and see how we could prevent people from continuously going through uh, the emergency room doors uh, for the treatment. We, we observed that there was a, a way to treat this based on a study that was done um, in Yale where they were using Suboxone, also known as buprenorphine, and uh, with that and behavioral health counseling, um, there was very strong data showing that um, individuals were able to stay off of the continued use of opioids and actually make a change in, very positively in someone's life. So my goal was, well, let's change this and let's approach it with when we take patients to the hospital, um, the hospitals will make notification to a team that was established here with Palm Beach County Fire Rescue what we would do is um, we would wait and let the emergency room physician evaluate the patients and determine if they were, uh, one, willing to uh, get help, and, uh, two, if they would be willing to participate in a pilot that we were doing in, in cooperation with JFK Hospital and the University of Miami in Florida. And so uh, once we got um, a patient to agree and meet the requirements, uh, our team of paramedics um, and peer group counselors We go meet the uh, individuals in the hospital and discuss with them what our plan was. And our plan is really pretty simple. Um, On the day of admission into the hospital, we meet them before they're discharged. And just before they're discharged, the emergency room physician would give them a dose of Suboxone, also known as buprenorphine, uh, for the purposes of preventing um, the continued withdrawal feeling and to kind of keep them in check. Uh, we would go in and we would meet them and talk to them, and then we would also take some peer group counselors who uh, have, have actually just been phenomenal. I, I think that they are the main bridge to us having success with our patients. Why is that? Um, well, I think that the, the benefit of our peer group counselors are is that they're all in recovery, and so they've been there, and they can speak the language, and they can gain the trust. And um, one of the criteria that I've established um, is that when we go in and we meet with our patients, um, there's no judgment. Give them 100% respect and, and show them that we're there to help. And, um, and now when we come in, um, sometimes we're kind of like not well received at first because of trust issues. But when we go in and we have peer group counselors who have many times uh, been in the same situation, it breaks down that wall. And then between the efforts of both teams, um, we get to interact with the patient and we would set up a schedule and we would follow um, with treating the patient for the next eight days. We literally would go to their home every single day at a pre-designated time with the peer group counselors and we would evaluate them, see where they were in their withdrawal state. We use a scale called the clinical opiate withdrawal scale. And uh, we had a written protocol for various uh, dosages of suboxone.
1: Can you speak to the clinical opiate withdrawal scale?
2: Yes. Uh, well, that's a it's a common uh, withdrawal scale that's used um, in behavioral health counseling and ad- uh, addiction. And basically, what it does is, based on some physiological changes and some um, changes or uh, signs and symptoms that the patient would exhibit, we we accumulated tally or tally a score that determines um whether or not they're in um what they would call um like a minor withdrawal phase moderate withdrawal phase or severe withdrawal and the withdrawal is dependent upon how much opiates they were used to using and on what level of of withdrawal are they currently in with the use of the suboxone we're able to keep it in check and um we consistently saw, um, with, you know, in most of our severe patients that uh, we could keep them, you know, relatively stable um, day after day. We would continue to provide them with suboxone, and uh, that would then almost like reset their clock so that they would make it another 24 hours, and uh, we would try to meet the needs of the of the patients um, on a daily basis. Uh, from there, uh we would do that for eight days, and then we would transition um, their care to um, the health care district. And the healthcare district is established uh, in our county in Florida um, kind of as an oversight for trauma and indigent care services. And we were able to get them to agree to come uh, on board with us and provide the clinical um, and uh, so I would say behavioral and clinical support as well as medical support. And our patients would, uh, would go there uh, for continued care after the eight days of uh, Suboxone. They would receive psychological counseling. They would continue to get the peer group counseling. And then they, if they had infectious diseases such as hepatitis C, they would be treated for it. And then they would start to get into the cycle of addressing any other issues, whether they be dental issues or um, cellulitis because of their injection site. And it was just really remarkable what we would see typically was within like two to three days, um, our patients, their appearances would change, their attitude towards life would change. They became excited. They would go get jobs. They were able to hold a job. They were able to keep money in their pocket. Um, it was it was a common theme that we would we would go and follow up on our patients and they would reach into their pocket and pull out their money and say, look, I actually have money in my pocket for the first time. Or, hey, look, I bought a cell phone and I'm now in touch with my family who I haven't been in touch with for six years. Uh, so those those transitions coming back into a productive part of society and, more importantly, a productive person that was staying off of opioids uh, was what we were seeing. Our goal was to evaluate the patients on day eight and then a follow-up on day 30 in cooperation with the healthcare district, we would follow up on these patients and, uh, we t- again, trying to mimic a study that was done by Yale, but that was a study that utilized self-reporting. And so the patients would report whether or not they had used opioids. And we utilized that as well as we did drug screening. And so um, our initial pilot was 30 patients, and of those 30 patients, 27 of them um, made it for the first eight days without any opioid use, these are individuals that were typically using every four to six hours, and um, some of them were homeless, uh, and their lives were changed. And we found we found or supported getting them into uh, treatment facilities or um, treatment homes, and we would continue to visit them at those facilities, uh, make sure that they were staying with their program, and Starting to set up and establish goals. When we made it to the day thirty, it was really exciting because um, right from the beginning we were we were averaging a number of about eighty-seven to ninety percent success of no opioid use. Um, and because this was an ongoing study until we reached the thirty patients, we did this for the last couple of months and. Our, our our final numbers um, ended up being for those that completed 30 days was um, roughly about 76% and a few of them would uh would have recurrences but uh we would get them back in the system we wouldn't we wouldn't change any of the behavior that we have for them we would continue to treat them with respect get them back in the in the program and um, continue to provide the support that they need to be successful and stay off of the opioids um, some of our patients now have uh, have reached 100 days with no opioid use. And actually, they've become some of our best advocates. Uh, they go out and they recruit more patients for us. Uh, they're friends who are still using, and they show up, and, and we collectively work together to to get them off of the opioids and, and, and provide an opportunity for them to, like, push the restart button.
1: What advice would you have... Um, Houston, for other communities that would like to begin a similar program?
2: Uh, well, I have a. I, I like to say this. I like to say that the, I think the first thing that people need to do is have compassion, show respect, and be non judgmental. Um, th- this, this epidemic, it chooses no socioeconomic background, um, and it is it's overwhelming. And for people that want to do this, um, if they get involved with treating patients and, 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 and treating them and having success, they will realize very quickly that these are, these are um, very normal people that have a disease or, or, or have a, a rough time in their life. And by being involved and in bringing them back, it's the most rewarding thing that I've ever done in my career.
1: Outstanding. Well, Houston, I want to thank you for joining us today. I really appreciate this. Your uh, your comments are really going to help us round out this podcast and, and tell a compelling story of the great work that you've done. So thank you. Well,
2: I appreciate it. Thank you. And, and really what it comes down to is a cooperation or a cooperative effort among all of the agencies. And, and typically when we meet with the different agencies, um, somebody wants their name on a board or, or somebody wants recognition. And and we all just come together. We work together. We have a common goal, and that goal is is that we help our patients, and uh, we get ahead of this epidemic. And we're not out there to uh, you know in, inflate our egos. It's it's really about taking care of the patients. Um, I, I think our biggest challenge right now is being able to get physicians qualified to treat patients with suboxone because they're typically limited to thirty patients in a year's time. Um, and so we surpassed that very quickly.
1: Is that a state thing or a federal thing?
2: No, that's a, that's a federal thing. Um, I've worked uh, collectively with um, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services in trying to change that, and that's something that we, we, we need to push. We need to push for uh, doctors to have the availability to prescribe medical-assisted treatment uh, with greater ease. Now, you can give all of the medications in the world – that potentially could cause an addiction, but they're only limited to 30 patients that they can treat. So, those really, are the challenges.
1: What's the name of the, is that? Is there a name for that law or bill?
2: Um, well, if you if you go under uh, uh, the medical assisted treatment with SAMSHA, mm-hmm. uh, it's Suboxone, and so the DEA and the FDA have restrictions on. As a matter of fact, a physician has to become wavered in order to be able to prescribe Suboxone. Um, and what's unique about what we're doing is is our medical director, uh, as a paramedic, we're able to w- work as an extension of the uh, medical director almost as if we're their hands. Um, and so he was able to get certified and then extended out to us in a medical protocol. so we were able to treat the patients in the field. the first time it's ever been done in, in pre-hospital care.
1: Outstanding. Well, thanks again. I appreciate sure. it, Houston. Next, we'll hear from Dr. Andrick and Dr. Slosser on their role in the Suboxone Pilot Program in Palm Beach County. So, doctors, welcome.
3: Thank you. Thank you.
1: Okay. So, next off, they are engaged with Dr. Slosser.
3: Yeah.
4: <clears throat> so, when the patients uh, come in, I meet with them, I'll take a history, and do a physical, and <clears throat> we you know, fortunately, we were able to get all of the lab work that was done in the emergency room. So we have a, a, a very good uh, snapshot of the patient and what you know, where they are in their addiction. Uh, we're very uh, careful. We want to document their past addiction history so that we can uh, you know, know how many times they have been detoxed or in treatment uh, residential. And if there have been any overdoses, Uh, there's, you know, for for most of them there has been at least one because that's how they got into the program. But what we find is that most of the patients have been through detox 15 or 20 or more times. They've been to residential treatment uh, at least uh, three to five times, and they've overdosed uh, more than once. So there's usually a 5 to 30 year you know, history of substance abuse. I then uh, go through an explanation of the neurobiology of addiction and you know, explain the pathways, um, the receptors, and you know, why the medication works and where it works. And I I do that by drawing out the brain and the midbrain and the receptors. And, you know, and I find, well, I should say, I haven't found a patient yet or a family that anyone has ever really explained to them the neurobiology of addiction. And they are extremely appreciative of finally having some understanding of the biology behind addiction and that they really aren't in control of their cravings. That the cravings become a primal response to having empty receptors. And that saying to someone who is craving that you should just stop doesn't register at all. And it's like saying to the person, just stop your heart from beating for a few minutes. And their eyes open up that, you know, wow, you really get it. That, you know, when I'm craving, it's more important than oxygen.
1: Wow. So stop your heart beating for a few minutes. That's powerful. That's, that's really powerful. I mean, everybody gets that. So you build this history up, and then from there you've consulted with them and explained to them what's happening to the brain through their addiction – what happens next?
4: Uh, then, you know, we do um, a urine drug screen, a cow score, and a uh, depression scale. And, and then we decide, then, then they see our uh, counselor, and we do one-on-one counseling sessions uh, with the patients, and we also have a group meeting.
1: The, the urine tests, uh, that makes sense. Uh, I think generally people know what that is. But the CAL score and the depressin-, depression uh, scale. Can you describe those two items for us?
4: Yeah. The uh, CAL score is the clinic, clinical opiate withdrawal scale. And that is a subjective and objective way to evaluate uh, to what extent somebody is in withdrawals um, at that at that time. And, you know, it, it is rated as mild, moderate, and severe. And by, by using that, you know, I know, you know, exactly where the patient is. To, to induce uh, or to use Suboxone, the patient has to not have used opiates for the past 12 to 24 hours so that the receptors are starting to, to empty. Because suboxone has a greater uh, affinity for the receptor, and it will displace opiates that are on the receptor, and can cause a precipitated withdrawal if uh, if you don't induce the patient uh, carefully.
1: Okay, and how about the depression scale?
4: Yeah, the depression scale is it's actually a tool that's used uh, throughout the clinic, and it's just to assess you know where a patient is at. Uh, there's Many of these patients have a dual diagnosis, and you know what we find is they have been self-medicating for, for a long time while they're using the illicit drugs. And once they get stabilized on the suboxone or naltrexone, then the uh, co-diagnosis uh, will you know will come out. Uh, fortunately, we have a addiction psychiatrist. That has started to work with us. So we have someone, you know, in-house that the patients can be referred to for other psychiatric uh, problems.
1: Dr. Andrick, why is this pilot program so unique compared to others that are out there?
3: Uh, Uniqueness of this program is that um, what we just heard from Dr. Schlosser, uh, this is very convoluted, um, numerous services that patients received. So we try to eliminate any distractions for the patients on their road to recovery from uh, having somebody to help them keep their appointments, organizing their transportation, helping them to find uh, um, non-toxic environment of living, um, um, having um, available appointments to come to the clinics every day helping them to uh, find work, um, start working again. Um, they are also one-stop shop, place where they not only see a physician and receive counseling, uh, receive their medication in a pharmacy, do, do their urine drug screen, seeing psychiatrists um, and uh, receive treatment for hepatitis C uh, and other primary care issues eventually they can have. So, this is just to name few of the issues that average uh, opioid uh, patient with opioid addiction face on a daily basis. So I think uniqueness is that. Uh, working with multiple agencies and um, having multiple services at one place, we eliminated um, all those possible distractions for them.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would call that holistic. I mean, you're looking at the patient's entire life as opposed to just one small aspect of it. Um, that is, that's, that's tremendous. This has got to be very rewarding for you both. What advice would you both give to other communities? That would like to uh, begin a program similar to yours. How would they start?
4: You know, I, I think what what we certainly have appreciated is when when you say it takes a village, it it really it really takes a lot of resources to be able to treat this you know this chronic relapsing disease. And it's not just the medication, and it's not just the counseling, and it's not just the social issues, it's it's all of them. So I think it's important not to try to just prescribe medication or just to have abstinence counseling. I think we, we know enough now that we have to use all the tools we have to, to save lives.
3: I just want to echo what Mark just said. I think the fantastic work of multiple agencies uh, working together resulted in uh, um, great results. Um, we are very proud of the program and we are very proud of our partners, Emergency Room uh, of J.K. Hospital, uh, Rebel Recovery, Fear Counselors, Fire Rescue Team, as well as a local regulatory agency, Southeast Florida Behavioral Health Network, who provide funding for the peer counseling portion. So it, it is great cooperation, uh, and uh, we, we just hope that we can continue working together and expand program to more patients.
1: Well, thank you both. For this informative podcast and informative interview. And uh, I I think many communities will benefit by your great work. So thank you.
4: Thank you. Thank you.
1: We've been joined today by Dr. Belma Andrick, who is the Chief Medical Officer of the Healthcare District in Palm Beach County, Florida. Also, Dr. Mark Schlosser. Mark is the OBGYN by training. For the last 10 years, he's been in a uh, neuropath biology, uh, treating obesity. And for the past year, he's been an addiction specialist involved with this very important program, uh, pilot program, to uniquely treat the uh, addicts in Palm Beach County with wraparound holistic program which is having a great deal of success. My name is Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources. Thank you for joining us for this Cover 2 PPT podcast. That's people, places, and things making a difference in the opioid epidemic.